Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, anti-Semitic flyers recently scattered in several area neighborhoods, including at the home of state lawmaker Esther Panich. She joins me in just a moment to talk about the need for tougher laws. Also, the city of Forest Park, the mayor, Angeline Butler, will share her initiatives for this very small city south of downtown Atlanta. And over in Nashville, a street is dedicated to the late Georgia Congressman John Lewis. But some Republican lawmakers want a portion renamed after Donald Trump. We'll talk about all of that. Important conversations coming up, but a few headlines first. The Atlanta Police Department has released some body camera footage after the fatal January 18th shooting incident at the planned Atlanta Police and Fire Training Site, dubbed Cop City. This took place in South DeKalb County. Now, authorities have said law enforcement shot and killed protester Manuel Tehran, but that the protester fired first. The released body cam footage, however, is not from the officers who fired their guns. Instead, it comes from Atlanta police who were walking through the forest at the time and out of view of the shooting incident. A word of caution, what you're about to hear, many gunshots from the incident. The voices you hear appear to be from other officers. Lawyers for Tehran's family family say the 26-year-old was shot 13 times. Protesters are disputing the account laid out by authorities that Tehran fired first. Meantime, DeKalb and Atlanta officials say they are moving ahead with construction of this $90 million police and fire training center at the site. In other news, a court hearing today could determine whether an attorney representing six defendants back in the 2015 Atlanta Public Schools cheating trial can withdraw from their appeal cases. But activists want the court to put the issue to rest, as we hear from Martha Dalton. Attorney Stephen Scarborough says it's a conflict of interest to represent so many defendants in the same case. Judge Jerry Baxter will decide whether to approve the motion, but activists want Baxter to end the trial instead. Gerald Griggs is the president of the Georgia NAACP and represented one of the defendants in the 2015 case. It was the most unnecessary trial that I've ever seen. Eight months of witnesses, hundreds and hundreds of documents, uh, thousands of court hours where no child was remediated was a waste of time. Eleven former APS educators were found guilty under Georgia's racketeering law. If Judge Baxter approves the motion, the appeals process would start over. Martha Dalton, WABE News. 
And a note of disclosure, disclosure, WABE's broadcast license is held by the Atlanta Board of Education. A bill that would make it a felony for anyone to pay a sex worker or for anyone to facilitate the activity, for example, a pimp, has passed the state Senate. Currently, a first offense is a high and aggravated misdemeanor under Georgia law, requiring at least 72 hours in jail. Now, this Senate bill, Senate Bill 36, would make both crimes felonies punishable by one to 10 years in prison. A second offense for either is already a felony, but a judge would be required to sentence someone to at least a year in prison unless a prosecutor recommends less. Democratic State Senator Harold Jones, who was also a former prosecutor, voted against it. There's nothing to show that that punishment is actually fitting what is going on, depending on the circumstances, and that it's actually going to deter anything. The bill now heads to the House. And finally... That is a classic pop hit, of course. Do you know the way to San Jose? Sung by Dionne Warwick and, of course, composed by the legendary Burt Bacharach. As a composer, he wrote dozens, I do mean dozens of pop hits and collaborated with other legends like Hal Davis and former wife Carol Bear Sager. Burt Bacharach died Wednesday at his home in Los Angeles of natural causes, according to his publicist, Tina Bronson. Now, back in 2019 here at WABE, I had a lovely conversation with Dionne Warwick, and she talked about working with Burt Bacharach. That album presenting Dionne Warwick, Mm -hmm. and I know the story's been told. When you first met this guy named Burt Bacharach, Mm -hmm. yes, when you first met that guy, could you tell instantly this is a good collaboration here. And also with Hal David, but... I met Bert uh, first. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had written a song with another songwriter, Bob Hilliard, for the Drifters, mm-hmm. uh, a song called Mexican Divorce. And we were doing the background one on that song, and he approached me after the session was over to see if I'd be interested in doing demonstration records of songs that he would be writing with a new songwriting partner, Hal David. And, uh, of course, I had to let him know that my education, first of all, was the first primary thing. And if he didn't want to get killed by my mother, <laughs> then he'd have to just make allotments for that. And uh, so it helped me supplement a lot of, in a lot of ways monetarily, for one, getting me through college and uh, singing some wonderful songs. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't know anything about Bert or Hal until I started doing more demonstration records and then background work on songs that they were producing for other song other artists. And uh, they wrote a song for the Shirelles. Mm-hmm. It's Scepter Records. Florence Greenberg, who ran, owned Scepter, did not want the song, but wanted the voice, and that was me. <laughs> The guy might give me diamonds and pearls The kind of things that mean so much to some girls But in the long run, baby It's love that really counts Believe me, it's love Support for WABE comes from The Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. 
Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. And Closer Look continues now from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. As you've heard recently, just last weekend, several anti-Semitic flyers were left in many neighborhoods in the area, and that includes the driveway of folks in Sandy Springs and Dunwoody. State Democratic Representative Esther Panish was one of those homeowners, and she says this isn't the only act of anti-Semitism her family has been exposed to, even in the past year. But now in her new role as a Democratic lawmaker, she's promising to come after those responsible with the full force of the state government, and she joins me now on the program. Thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Let's take our listeners back to last weekend. Um, you came out to your driveway, or, or take us through what, what, what you saw, what happened. So it was, it was a Sunday morning. My husband and I were home, and he went out to go. We were drinking coffee, and he went out to go get the newspaper. He came back in and said that he saw three pieces of anti-Semitic material at the bottom of our driveway. I put my jacket on. I went down to look, and, in fact, there were these baggies uh, filled with unpop popcorn kernels and flyers mm-hmm. with a lot of vile messaging. What kind of messaging uh, that you can that you feel sure. comfortable sharing? That the Talmud is satanic. Mm-hmm. Um, that Leo Frank was a pedophile, mm-hmm. and, and worse from there. Did you see if those flyers were in, in your other neighbors? Did they have those same flyers as well? From my house I can't I couldn't see other mm-hmm. I have a Jewish neighbor <clears throat> and I texted her and turns out she was out of town so mm-hmm. I don't know if it was on hers I when I called Sandy Springs police the dispatcher told me that it there had been other reports that morning mm-hmm. and then once I went on social media to kind of describe what was happening I heard immediately mm-hmm. that there were other in neighboring neighborhoods other developments that had been blanketed with this and a little later, my husband took our dog for a walk and saw, he said, about 50 homes with that kind of material. And he grabbed, actually, a few bags and brought it back because the police had taken hours for testing. And so the police now have it. Do you know if this is going to be elevated up to a higher body of law enforcement, the FBI, or, or to that nature? I don't know. I don't think so. The GBI has not been called in. And that usually only happens when local authorities ask the GBI to come mm-hmm. in. So it sounds like Sandy Springs and Dunwoody are going to keep it in-house for now. I wasn't threatened in these materials, and there's no reason to believe they knew I lived at, I lived at that house mm-hmm. as an elected official. So um, I don't know that they were targeting me specifically versus Jewish households mm-hmm. in general. Did any of the messaging... Was it, So you're saying none of the messaging was necessarily threatening, just making these false narratives about Jewish folks, but nothing that said, you know, like threatening acts of violence against the Jewish community. No. I mean, they were definitely intimidating. Mm-hmm. And it could be a crime in that it's littering mm-hmm. or that it's um, trespassing. And some homes, I don't know if it was in this round, but in rounds in previous months in other neighborhoods and other counties, people had things left in their mailboxes, which Mm -hmm. is a federal crime. Mm -hmm. So those 
cases may have upgraded charges. In my case, what would happen is if they get caught, mm -hmm. then they could be subjected to local ordinance violations or state violations. If there was a hate crime law that defined anti-Semitism and- Specifically. Correct. Right. And there were threats involved, then it could be an enhanced penalty. We'll talk about that in a moment. And I know this is not lost on you when you hear that a recent audit by the Anti-Defamation League reveals that back in 2021, that was the highest number of anti-Semitic incidents since they began keeping track in 1979. It averaged out to more than seven per day throughout the nation. And they contend that, look, this is going to, this is a trend that is increasing and expected to, even when 2022, when that data is revealed, it could be even higher. Yes, and it's underreported. I have neighbors who didn't report. I know people in other communities who, once I tweeted it, started tweeting and said that it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't report it because no one would care. So there are a lot of underreported cases as well. So if it was already the highest, mm -hmm. we know that it's even higher than that. Governor Brian Kemp and I believe uh, George Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger tweeted, you know, and that this act was wrong and, and, and you know, keep basically saying, you know, this can't be tolerated. Have you heard from any other of your fellow state lawmakers who are offering to work with you on some legislation or just offering support? Both. Mm -hmm. Immediately, once I tweeted, I've got overwhelming response from my colleagues uh, from both sides. It, this, was not a bipart this was not a partisan issue. Mm -hmm. um, I was embraced physically and emotionally by the speaker who is obviously of a different party. Mm -hmm. And the next morning he saw me before session started, came up to me practically with tears in his eyes, embraced me and said, this can't stand, gave me time to speak from the well. Which I didn't realize because I'm pretty new, mm -hmm. but sometimes people come up and are emotionally supportive of another lawmaker when they're making an announcement from the well. Mm -hmm. Here, most of the chamber stood up next to me. So, which was a pretty unique from what I've been told. And, it, and it, I can feel the love being up there. Um, I have since, people check on me daily to make sure I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, as a Jew in America, as an elected official, this isn't all that unusual. I have since gotten really ugly hate email. Um, oh yeah, it's it's not unusual to get it. I kind of assumed oh, I it was. I, it, it I, was. I, I kind of assumed it was normal for an elected official, for a minority elected official, to get or a public figure to get. So, but yeah. uh, apparently not so much for my white Christian colleagues, but... Um, well, look, you know, I don't need to tell you that... Uh, well, I don't need to tell you. you know. Yeah. Let's talk about the legislation that you would hope can come out of this. Lay it out for our listeners what exactly you want to push for. So HB 30, which started last year and passed the House with no issues, mm -hmm. um, but got stuck in the Senate and did not pass has been reintroduced this year by John Carson. He invited me, because I'm new, to be a co-signer, which I was grateful and joined in. It has hit a little snag in the House Judiciary Committee, and we're working on language to kind of get past it to get to a vote. What's the current language right now, or the language that was originally crafted that you think you all need to change? Or The only real dispute that I'm hearing is whether to it refers to an, a definition that has been widely accepted around the world. It's been accepted by global um, 
organizations of imams and rabbis and uh, scholars and academics. And it, it's been adopted by 30, 30 states in the U.S. Georgia's mm-hmm. actually quite behind. Two Democratic presidents. I mean, it's all over the place. It's bipartisan. So, it, But it's a question of whether do we insert the definition into the statute? The definition of? Of anti-Semitism. Okay. It's the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance so definition. So any, any intimidation or harassment or anything just specifically that? To Jews. To Jews. What? Which includes calling a Jew uh, or holding Jews responsible for what happens in Israel, which is no different than holding a Chinese American what, responsible for what happens in China. Is that is that in? It's in action. It's in, not in speech. Okay, that's what I want to be very clear about. Yes. So if somebody were to call me a Zionist pig, they're free to do that. If somebody were to deface my home and write Zionist pig, they should be uh, facing an enhanced penalty. What's your response to the one that says, well, we have federal protections. We have now some state protections. What's going to be the difference in just having a specific definition for a a community of people or or a particular race, religion, however folks want to identify? What do you how do you respond to that? Because that's what I'm sure you get some pushback about. Yes. So Jews do not fit into one category. We're not merely religion we're not merely just like black folks correct so um it's it's hard to define Mm -hmm. there is no definition but there is there is a definition so if somebody were to write zionist pig on my home or to to harm me assault me and kick me and say zionist pig Mm -hmm. everybody can agree that's anti-semitic sure Except that there's no definition to do that. So the defense to that could be, well, I didn't attack her because she's Jewish. I attacked her because of what's going on in Israel. Okay. And that's a defense. Mm-hmm. So it needs to have a definition for prosecutors to be able, or investigators, to look at, to have a reference point. And that's all this is, is a definition. Are there other, you said there are other states that have this? 30 or, other states. 30 other states. Yep. And uh, Arkansas, I think, just passed one of its houses. And somebody sent me another link this morning to another state that had passed one of the houses. So once that language is recrafted, or and then you think it will get to eventually a, a vote on the floor? Yes, I'm confident it, it will because of the support that was shown to me. I'm confident that this house will bring it to a floor, that the judiciary will bring it to a floor, that the speaker means what he said, and that the House Judiciary means what they said, and that all my colleagues who stood with me mean what they said. Speaker Burns has told you that he would support this, and, and he's a supporter of this? I, I didn't clear. ask him specifically, okay. so I don't want to... Do you want to... I don't want to put words in his mouth. Okay. Are you going to ask him? Uh, yeah. Because he carries a lot of weight. Yes, for sure. And what about Governor Brian Kemp? I will ask him, too. Mm-hmm. I, it didn't even occur to me to ask this is your your first time as a state lawmaker other than this i mean what has it been like so far it's a lot it's um i'm excited it's it's great i'm learning a lot it's like drinking out of a fire hose people have said that to me but of course until you go through it yourself you don't really know what and you're not supposed to wear heels you're supposed to wear tennis shoes because y'all do a lot of walking and running around well i will tell you my little (laughs) secret i just bought these these are naturalizer heels so apparently i don't want to give i don't want to give them a commercial but this well although they deserve it they're very comfortable yes um (laughs) yes i have learned um high heels on marble do not work well well for, for legs 
So, but I am I am learning. I do have a pair of flats in my office, though. The learning process in terms of how laws get made, but also just the process up until that end. If you're trying to have a bipartisan working relationship, understanding how bills get made, listening listening to constituents and having an open door, all of that. What has been the biggest sort of eye opener for you? How bipartisan most of the legislation is. Uh, I would say probably 95% of it. Was that surprising to you? Do you feel yes. like it's 95%? Yes. So far. So far. Yeah. Yes. So far. I mean, we both have, both sides have their policies that we want to enforce or take down from the other side. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to those. We haven't gotten there yet. So, so when, at least for me, because I do this in court all the time, mm-hmm. I, I face opposition every day. It's an adversarial process in the kind of work I do. When you can build consensus, you build it. You don't ruin your credibility making arguments when you don't need to, mm-hmm. so or being adversarial unnecessarily. So at least that's not how I am. Unnecessarily, I think a lot of people would agree that that's probably key. Right, you maintain your credibility because someone, it's a, like crying wolf. You don't, you know, there's only so much, um, so much someone will listen to you if you're going to complain all the time about unnecessary things. Any particular other issues that you want to hope put your name to and support any other measures or bills? Look, y'all got thousands of yes. bills that have been filed down there. Yes. The likelihood of maybe what, 15%, 10%, 8%? That's what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I have other bills that I'm meeting with legislative council about. Uh, one thing that I have signed on to is to plug a hole in Hope Scholarship. There, I didn't know this was an issue, but uh, developmentally disabled adults who want to go to college mm-hmm. can't qualify for the Hope Scholarship. There, there are college programs for them, but the parents have to pay because there's no mechanism to um, equalize like grade point averages or scores. But the students get a GPA so if they qualify merit-wise shouldn't they should but there's no someone this listing saying what yeah so the development if you qualify although and of course there's the other argument that it should be needs-based and not merit well that's that's a whole whole different conversation I'm not gonna put that on you correct that's not right but would you push for that that it be need-based equally is or or instead of merit would you push for that too as well as the I'd read it. I mean, I'm, I'm not opposed to it in okay. principle, but I need to see. I, I have to, as a lawyer, I have to read everything before I'll sign my name to it. But this particular issue was to plug a hole where parents have to pay for their education, their kids' education in a Georgia state school for kids who have attended and done well, but in a special program for developmentally disabled kids. I think a lot of this is probably... Didn't know that. Didn't, I didn't yeah. know that, and either did the people who have put together the Hope Scholarship in the legislature. So that's why. Well, how did get we in were, there? <laughs> we were making. I don't know. We. I wasn't there. I know. I was made aware <laughs> of an issue by somebody who was there on advocacy day. Yeah. And just mentioned it offhand, and I said, "Oh, really?" And so I went to somebody who was really involved with Hope. I asked, and they weren't aware of it either. So then. We just kind of went through, and Houston Gaines sponsored the legislation to put a fix to it, and boom. I mean, we're, we're not there yet, but yeah. let's it's on its way, so let's hope it gets a hearing and we can solve problems. That's what we're here to do. 
Before I let you go, I want to go back to the investigation. Uh, the police that are investigating these flyers, have they given you any updates? Do they know if there was someone's home surveillance camera that might have caught the individual or individuals who did this? I am not aware yet. Um, I haven't touched back with Sandy Springs. Mm -hmm. uh, the people who distribute these flyers put their names on the flyers or their organization's names. So I know the police have an, ide or have an idea where to start. I haven't checked back in with them, though. I, pl I mean, I assume they'll contact me when they do, or I'll follow back up with them. You had said uh, this wasn't the first time you or your family had experiences, and I think any anybody, you know, whether it's a person of color, someone from the LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. all of that, all can point to instances of, of discrimination or just hatred, all of that. Uh, what is your message for, for folks to know what you are pledging to do with this legislation? We're hoping to, to stop it, to give prosecutors and other investigators tools in their toolbox to help end it. We're not going to necessarily stop people's hatred in their hearts, but we're sure going to make it harder for them to get away with it as crimes. State Representative Esther Panish, thank you so much for coming and taking the time. Good to meet you. Continue luck in this first legislative session for you. Thank you. I'll need it. <laughs>
casualty to the Base Realignment um, mm-hmm. Closure Act. And so the genesis, um, well, when that first happened, there was a lot of talk of making that land into like like a um, Atlantic station. Okay. And I don't like comparing it to other municipalities, mm-hmm. but for some people, it's easy for them to relate sure. when I say that. But it did not happen. And so we have proven that in the midst of a global pandemic, logistics is the one industry, one of the industries that did not slow down. And as a result, we were able to continue to bring in um, investors and investment to pour into our city. And so um, it has been a blessing in disguise. So you have, so the economic development has been around logistics, is that what you're Absolutely. saying? They've brought jobs because sometimes when big development comes in, they bring their own folks. But has this also provided jobs for people who live in the city of Forest Park? So it's very important to understand that we cannot make industries hire local. Sure. But what we do do is that we make sure that the information is out there. And so government can only do so much. It is really up to each individual person to make themselves viable candidates for these jobs. Sure, but but I'm sure there were some. Do you, when you have these conversations, are there some conversations about hey, with community benefits, or are there possibility that there's some jobs here? Oh, you absolutely. Know. So over three thousand dollar three thousand jobs have been ushered in in just the f- my first four years as mayor as a result of all the success going on at Gillum. And we do have residents that have taken advantage of that and are working over in the various global 1,000 Fortune 500 companies that call Forest Park home. And as you know, when big development comes in, like if you're talking about logistics, tech, whatever, they these corporations, they look at what are the amenities for our workers? You know, what about transit? You know, what about Everybody wants to work, live, play. Now you have enough scenic trails, and I know that park, so they can't they can't say well there ain't no trees out here because y'all got that. But the other amenities, you feel like you all have everything that would keep someone to want to live in in the city of Forest Park as opposed to living somewhere else and just working down there. No, and so what's missing? It's, exactly, I'm getting there. <laughs> um, got to be quick, man. No, I know, kidding. I see, I see. I got to stay on my toes. Okay, what I said. So Forest Park, we are a blank slate, if you will, for a lot of industries to come. We don't have a lot of restaurants to choose from. Um, We don't have a coffee shop in the city of Forest Park. Um, You don't have a coffee shop? We do not. Okay. Um, You know what? You take some. I'm about to get you some coffee shops and restaurants. And let me say, let me throw this out there. March 14th, I am hosting an investor and developer meet and greet. There are some land, some land, some parcels of land that we have identified, and I want to bring people to Forest Park and let them know what's out there so that those gaps can be filled. So in addition to not having restaurants and, and a, a coffee shop, a smoothie shop, um, the housing is not really where it needs to be. Let's talk about that. Then. Yes, yeah. because I believe that as mayor, the only way that I can really ensure that the dollar turns a little bit more in the city of Forest Park is for people to live there. You know, you got people that come to Forest Park to work and then are taking their paycheck and depositing it in another municipality. So we're working on that. (laughs) Part of that investor meet and greet, I do have um, a few parcels of land that we're looking to bring in some homes. Okay. 
let's talk about the affordability factor and all mm-hmm. that because I don't need to tell you it, it rent is high. <laughs> yes. You can't tell some folks, you know, what they should charge in terms of if they're talking about rentals, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want rent you want rentals and new homes or combination? So, Forest Park is unique in that however many decades ago at the state level, not at the local level, um, legislation was put through that gave a lot of homestead exemptions. And part of that is that the home has to be assessed at about 40 percent. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of our homes currently, I think it's like one hundred and fifty. is what it equates to. And so a lot of our homes do not meet that threshold. So as a result to the other um, homestead exemptions, which is age, you know, veteran status, um, and et cetera, that is the one that is really holding the city back in terms of collecting taxes. But with the new homes that are coming, oh, well, I say that to say our rental population is extremely high. But that has been our saving grace because even with those homestead exemptions, it has to be home or owner occupied. Mm. And because it's not, it's renter occupied. That's how we're able to collect the taxes on the homes that we are because they don't meet that home. The so owner are collecting more taxes on properties that are being rented. That are rented. Yes. So we do. I, I'm a renter currently. I owned a home many years ago, lost it as part of my story that happened. But it's not to penalize renters. It's not to make them feel bad for renting. But for new development to come, it the home value has to be. And you all haven't reached that. Is that what act, you're we have one home that sold. Are you sitting down? I'm sitting down. $700,000. In Forest Park. Just one home? Well, but he's building more, okay. but it starts somewhere. Okay, now you know when folks hear that, they say, well, Mayor, that's also kind of part of the problem because doesn't that drive up, But it can, or, or will it, drive drive up the other prices because folks look at the market rate. I mean, once you get $100,000, $700,000 home, you get like twenty five more. You and so we, we've thought about that. We know we hear gentrification, and that is um, scary all across the board but if the homeowner has lived in their home i believe in forest park is 20 to 25 years then they are um they are uh, almost grandfathered in and so there are mechanisms in place to protect current homeowners and but once the home changes ownership then they are to abide by the current policies that are in place is there anything that you all can do in terms of your council and they represent wards to to putting any ordinances in place that can give some other protections either to renters or to you know homeowners i mean i know that i don't know how it works in clayton county fulton county when you talk about property taxes is a whole nother show but is there anything you can do with the county that the county can help you with? So my city manager um, is in discussions with the tax um, commissioner on how can we protect our current, even if they haven't lived in their homes for 20 plus years, Mm -hmm. what can we do? And that is an ongoing discussion. I'll just say that. But I think the fact that the council is... um, sensitive to that and that they have been proactive in uh, directing our city manager to have those conversations says a lot about um, 
how our governing body wants to protect our residents. What is, if you know, the average rent that you hear in, in, in the city of Forest Park? I know that it is here in Atlanta. It's almost $2,000, if not close to it, give or take. A couple yes, hundred bucks. over the last couple of years, I, it has gone up. Um, I don't know the average, mm-hmm. but I know in some apartments, the last two that I looked at, that you, looking at them, it really bothered me at what they were asking for rent. It was $1,200. Now, you know, if that was here in Atlanta, for a one-bedroom? Two. Now, if that was in Atlanta, that's a that's a bargain. But, you know, so, and it would be. But the rent versus the quality of living. Gotcha. Is the issue. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in the city of Forest Park and, and elsewhere, we do have some ill-principled people that are taking advantage of people who, if they may have a criminal background, they may not make the three times the rent, but whatever it is in their background that's preventing them from seeking housing elsewhere. And they take advantage of those people. By requiring not only one month, two months, three months, and all these other months uh, in advance. or That or... Um, yeah. You know, it's one apartment, two bedrooms, one home, maybe three bedrooms. And um, I can't remember the term, but they're renting out each room at the same price, which is over, you know, $800. Are you concerned? And and the AJC just launched a series today. When you look at these big investor properties, groups that are coming outside of Georgia and, and targeting Primarily black neighborhoods yes. and other neighborhoods because they're buying up the inventory and they're renting it out. Is that concerning? I you? am. And we have a lot of that in Forest Park. And um, I know that we rentally, re- recently, excuse me, um, implemented our residential renter inspection program. And there are a lot of investors that have threatened to take us to court over it. And what's interesting about that is that at the state level, it says that we cannot create a registry for um, homes for rent. We can't enforce um, a lot of the policies that we wanted to enforce and hold these ill-principled people accountable um, for having subpar living conditions. But I, I find a little solace in that the Georgia Municipal Association, that's one of the things on their legislative agenda this yeah. um, this session um, to help push that. And so I encourage all municipalities because I'm speaking on behalf of the city of Forest Park, mm-hmm. but I know it's not just germane well, to and, us. And I think it is a priority of state lawmakers and how they can better you yes. know, help in terms of with the, with the high cost of housing in general. Before I let you go, I know you're a proud alumna of oh, Spelman Randy? College. I, I know, time goes fast. You're a proud alumna of Spelman College. Why did you want to be mayor initially? I knew at 19 this is something that I wanted to do. had no idea what that looked like. Um, but when I got to Forest Park, um, I was reminded of the dream that I had to run for office. And so I got tired of being on the sidelines complaining. And so I said, why not step up and be the agent of change that I knew the city needed? And it took some convincing. Um, I had met with some members of the community, and there was one lady, and I will never forget it. She said, I'm going to believe in you until you're able to believe in yourself. And five years later, here I am. Angeline Butler is the 24th mayor for the city of Forest Park. Do y'all have a barbecue restaurant down there? No, we do have John's Fine Food. Oh, Ray's Southern Foods. Okay, you're on the right track then. Okay, What is yes. it, barbecue? 
Well, he has barbecue but, like ribs, but, there, but not, not a not a, a entity solely designated okay. for barbecue. So if you think about what you like, we don't have a lot. Well, after you have the, I'm, I want to bring you back because after, or we'll come down there after you have your oh, absolutely your meet and greet and see you know what what happens and give you some restaurants out there. And, yes, yeah. right. I would love that. <laughs> March fourteenth, eleven to two. Um, you can email me a butler at the at forestparkga.gov if you're interested. Um, and we welcome it. All right, Mayor. Thank you so much for taking time. I appreciate it. Best of luck to you. Thank you so much. And Closer Look continues now from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. After civil rights giant and Georgia Congressman John Lewis died, the city of Nashville honored his legacy by renaming part of Fifth Avenue in downtown, Representative John Lewis Way. But now, their Tennessee Republicans have introduced a bill in the current session of their General Assembly to change part of John Lewis Way to Donald Trump Boulevard in honor of the former president. Well, Meanwhile, Nashville City Councilwoman Zufat Suara was angered by that proposal, and she calls it an insult. She's vowing to fight the move, and she joins us now from Nashville. Councilmember, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Greetings to you. This is very personal to you. You had worked very hard. You were instrumental in getting that name changed to begin with. When you first heard of this, what I, I shouldn't have to ask, but what was your, your reaction? Ah, it, it was unbelievable. I think I was speechless for, for a couple of minutes and it felt as if my brain was just not even working right uh, because I could not believe it. Uh, uh, it, it, was, it was an insult and it was something that was, when we renamed the street, something that everyone supported in Nashville, something that brought the whole city together. It was a big celebration. It was barely two years ago and mm-hmm. then for them to want to change a part of it and just like that was just unbelievable. Uh, it's, 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 it's cruel. We reached out to the Tennessee Republican lawmakers who were uh, uh, sponsoring the bill. We reached out to State Senator Frank Nicely, uh, declined. We reached out to State Repres- Representative Paul Sherrill. Um, they all declined. And whenever anybody else tries to talk to them, they don't answer it. So what do you think that why this is? Have you had conversations with either of them? No, um, I have not. I know that, like you said, the people that have tried, and I think some people, everybody's just trying to see, but I have, I, I really have not. Uh, and I cannot, while I cannot speculate to what was going through their mind or why mm-hmm. they wanted to do it, one thing that I believe and something that is obvious is that they chose to change a segment of the road that affects the building that their offices are. And so the telling thing to me is that it's about not wanting that name on the office address. Um, and and, and uh, that's 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 what I can infer from that act is that if you're just wanting to change where your office address is and you don't want your office address. So that that I think is the motive, in my opinion, without actually talking to them. But that's that's what it looks like to to everybody. And, and to, uh, but doing so is a dishonor to the and, legacy of John Lewis. And. Also, folks should know that because they want to rename that portion, not just they want to rename a portion of the after former President Donald Trump. And I'm sure that has brought a lot of 
emotions and, and debate. Is there anybody supporting that you have heard from the General Assembly that's actually supporting this measure? No, uh, uh, that's a good thing. So far, we've not had anyone say that it's a good thing. And that's on all sides. Even some of the Republicans have said they think this is crazy and uncalled for. Um, because and the one thing we try to let everybody understand is that we did not pick Fifth Avenue randomly. We picked Fifth Avenue because of the connection, historical connection to late Congressman John Lewis. The Woolworths, where he had the sitting, was unfit. You know, he was a freedom rider, so the bus stations were unfit. He went to school at American Baptist and at Fisk University, and there's a connection to Jefferson Street on mm-hmm. Fifth. Yeah. Uh, he got an award at the Ryman Auditorium from Dr. Martin Luther King. Ryman is on Fifth. And so that was when we were looking at his connection to Nashville when he came there, when he did the city, when he was a student, which streets mm-hmm. has the more ties to him? Uh, and that was Fifth Avenue. It wasn't about the offices, uh, it was about that history. Uh, uh, and the former president has no history or no ties to, to Nashville, as far as I can tell. Yeah, we were trying to, to look for some, too, and we, we couldn't. Um, would you ultimately then like to see some type of measure that says, hey, you can't, nobody can change the street. I mean, here in Georgia, there's a law that says you can't change Stone Mountain and the, those carvings uh, with those three Confederate folks. So, you know, would you like to maybe tell the lawmakers, hey, why don't y'all pass something that says you cannot re- rename the street or any portion of it? That is the craziest part. Tennessee does have that. We have the Tennessee Heritage Protection Act that says that if you have a street or anything named in memory of someone, you should not touch it. So what the sponsors are trying to do is change that act in order for them to be able to do this, which is absurd. Uh, uh, So we do have that. That's why we've been able to have people that wants to change their street names from Lee and Confederate and all that stuff. I've not been able to do it. But they are willing to change the act, at least the sponsors are, Mm -hmm. as part of the description of the bill, says they want to change that Tennessee Heritage Protection Act and then do what they want to do. How much movement? You're optimistic that this measure won't go any further, but you never know. So meanwhile, what are you doing? Just you're just trying to get people to to support being supportive, not supporting it. And do you have any other recourse? Yes, we, we are having conversations with legislators uh, 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 on all sides. We uh, created a petition for people to sign. We have almost, uh, the last that I checked two days ago was when we created it, but we have about 8,000 people that signed on to it. Uh, we also, we have a youth, uh, my daughter uh, and the Mayor's Youth Council actually marched when we unveiled that street and she was really upset. So they're planning a youth rally for uh, February 18, because the congressman's birthday is February 21st. And so they want to do a youth rally to just bring more awareness to it. So we're doing everything that we can. Uh, we believe it will not pass. But like you said, you really cannot just wait until it happens. I think it's important for people to just push back and say, we're not, this is this is not what Nashville wants. Uh, uh, and we, we want them to stop this. And finally, uh, Council Member, what has John Lewis just meant to you personally? Oh, a lot, a lot. Um, that's why it was very personal for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that if he and his counterparts as young students in Nashville did not do what they did, someone like myself would never be elected. 
we will still be having segregated uh, lunch counters. Uh, blacks would not have the rights, which I'm not saying that we have it now. There's still a long way to go. But the fact that they did what they did, mm -hmm. uh, desegregated the, the lunch counters in the South, is the reason why someone like myself uh, was able to run for office and be in office today. And, and, and that's the, the thing that I want my children to know. That's why. The other reason also is that uh, there's a movement to do CRT and not let us teach history in our classrooms. Mm -hmm. And so having those street names uh, spark conversation from the kids. Uh, a lot of people said after we named John Lewis is when they found out about Reverend Lawson when he came to speak. Mm -hmm. Now we have a school named after Lawson in Nashville. Yeah. And so that's part of the teaching. These people did a lot. What they fought for is still here today. And I think the street is a motivation for us to continue to do the work that they started and that we need to continue. All right. Nashville City Councilwoman Zuvat Suara, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. We'll, thank we'll, you we'll for stay on top of this story. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and Pat St. Clair. Tiffany Griffith is our supervising producer. Our engineers are Kevin Rinker and Soya Vanderworth. A reminder, let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. WABE Studios, the podcast where they read stories, is a new children's storytelling podcast featuring notable Atlantans and performers reading classic and contemporary children's books. Each episode contains a story meant to entertain, inspire, and inform young listeners. No screens required. The podcast where they read stories features adaptations from both chapter books and picture books. Join us at WABE.org slash stories podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. WABE. Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E.